Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 622 with Lauren Bree Lynch. We, you know, we had like our signage outside and like the Instagram logo and Facebook logo. And I think we had like almost 2000 followers before we opened. So people were still getting like the excitement of it with us having without us having to say like we're opening next week. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. 89% of all guests will research a restaurant online before dining out. So you've got to start thinking about how you can extend your in-house hospitality and attention to detail to the online world. Bento Box is a great place to start. They will develop a restaurant website that not only leaves lasting impressions with your guests, but also provides hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online and guests into your restaurant. Sign up today at Get bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create a complete system tailored to your business needs. Revel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at revelsystems.com slash un unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest lauren brie lynch my girl you're feeling unstoppable today yeah unstoppable (laughs) yes so the university of albany graduate lauren brie lynch had 10 years of food and beverage experience before joining forces with jay janowski and chad vignelle to open harlem public in 2008 11. With the momentum, the team went on to open the Wallace in 2014, followed by the Honeywell in 2016. All three restaurants continue to go strong to this day. And in, in addition, the team is working on a food hall that will be opening in uh, Washington Heights, just around the corner. When are you guys slated to open that sucker? Uh, I think it was like a year and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully in 2019. That's the goal. You'll get there, I'm <laughs> sure. So uh, let's get this motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, that's right. What did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. Oh, all right. I think it was how about be authentic. This? Don't be corny. Yeah. Is that what how, you said? how about this? Do something. Do something really good. Make something really good and the money will come. Make something really good and the money will come. When I hear you say that, what comes to my mind is, you know, focus on providing value. We always focus on the money, getting the money that we get distracted by actually doing the thing that's going to make the money come in. That's kind of what I think of when I hear you say that. Yeah. And it's something that I personally struggled with. It was like, you know, we opened up the first place it was really by the skin of our teeth and I was very focused on the money and who we had to pay back and who had lent us what and what have you and my one partner Jay just kept saying like focus on making something good the money will come and it became kind of a mantra during those really stressful few months um, yeah as we were 
getting on our feet again. <laughs> it, it also kind of reminds me of that Albert Einstein quote of focus on being a person of value, not a person of success, right? And if you focus on just being valuable and, cre- and creating something of value, uh, I feel like there's a lot of parallels there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't be afraid to gr- grab that mic and pull it right in real okay. quick for me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, better? There you go. Yeah, right. yeah, beautiful. So take us to where it makes sense. When did you know that you were going to commit your life to food and beverage? Or when did you start having your dreams of opening your own place? Um, so, uh, I'm not going to do dates. I'm not good at that. But so I was going back to get my master's I was to be a teacher. I wasn't a hundred percent what I wanted to be, but I randomly ended up living with this girl catch. Her family owns a bunch of bars and restaurants around New York city. Um, George Keeley was her grandfather and, um, the dead poet and whatever. So, uh, Jay, her boyfriend at the time, her new boyfriend at the time, and I used to hang out all the time and he's like, we should do this. We should do this. So this was, I was like, what, 22 at the time. And I was like, yeah, 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 we'll do it. But I was a big traveler and, uh, I didn't want to stay put or the idea of signing my name to the lease or, or really going into the classroom for the rest of my life that didn't work either so I went out to Aspen instead bartended for a while out there Um, and then when I came back a lot of things happened personally in my life and Jay had gone on to open up another bar and I was like I don't want to go into an area that's really saturated but if you find a place where we can create a neighborhood bar then that's where I want to be and uh, Jay was working with Chad, our other partner, and Chad lived in this neighborhood at starting 13, 14 years ago. And he just kept saying, you know, like, there's no bars. Like, no one has any place to go. They have to go downtown in order to go anywhere. So um, we just started, like, you know, walking around the neighborhood and, and figuring it out. And, um, yeah, here we are. So did you make it out to Aspen? Is that something you were able to do? How long were you gone for? I was only gone for six months. Um, I actually flew out right after I graduated or I didn't even walk in graduation because I just knew I didn't want to be a teacher for whatever, you know, I mean, I love teaching, but I didn't want the bureaucracy of teaching. Yeah. So I had friends in semester at sea living in Aspen uh, and we had backpacked, my girlfriends and I had backpacked South America, and we were like, let's just all move to Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we did, and we all just, like, you know, with our degrees, we went out and bartended and um, served and got whatever jobs we could and just became, like, ski bums for six months. And then and then we went back, and uh, afterwards I moved to Boston, and I worked at Wayfair as a buyer for a while, and then uh, I was there for, like, five years. And then um, after that, I, I actually had to come home because my, uh, my – well, this is all the sad stuff, but my grandparents and my parents got sick at the same time. Oh, man. So I was getting ready to move. I had been recruited to go into a company out in Arizona. I was getting ready to move there. And once everyone got sick, I couldn't do that anymore. So I came home instead. That makes sense. And once you're a caretaker, you can do anything. So (laughs) you can survive most anything. One thing I really like about your story up to this point is that you were smart enough. You had the foresight to to recognize that as soon as you get into this industry, the bar and food food and beverage industry, like your life is going to be that restaurant or that bar. Mm -hmm. So 
take whatever it is that you have aspirations to do. If it's traveling, go do it, you know, get it out of your system because it might be years before you get a chance to, to break free, to, to take the, that time to build up your business, to build your people up, to build your system. That takes time. So you mm-hmm. have that foresight to, to, to travel and to take care of yourself first before committing to this, this industry. And I think a lot of people have regrets when they don't do those things before opening their business. Do you see that happen? Um, you know, I, I, I definitely do, and I really feel for people who don't have partners that they can truly rely on. Um, But from the beginning, you know, my one partner was in this business before, and it was kind of that guilt of you can't do this, you can't do that, and he felt like he missed out on a lot of opportunities. So we all kind of pledged to each other that, um, you know, if one of us wants to do something, like we're going to figure it out and we're going to do it. Um, and it's a lot different in today's world where we have so many technologies and I'm not saying that technology replaces like a, a business owner being there or management, like, you know, respected management being there, but, um, it does definitely make our lives a heck of a Absolutely. lot easier. I can't so. wait to dive into that, that topic of technology and how you guys are <laughs> leveraging it for sure. But how did you know Chad and, uh, Jay, like how, how, what was the, the, I guess the, what was that relationship like before you guys went into business together? How did you guys all come together? So, all right. So the first time I met Jay, Catch and him had to come to my hometown in West Milford, New Jersey. And we used to do these like mini Havasu boats out, um, like tie up like 11 pontoon boats and just party. It's like the largest private lake in New Jersey. That sounds amazing. And uh, so his recollection is me like rolling up in a bikini with, my life jacket on and telling his now wife like get on we're gonna go out and party so they were there to like pick out pick up keys and i had met her on roommates.com so i'm like let's see if she's cool or not so next thing you know i'm bringing her out to a boat with like 50 of my friends and then i come back to get jay and he's like no 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 no. i'm gonna stay i'm gonna stay and i'm like no you're not you're gonna come and by the end of the day we're all cliff jumping oh man it's awesome whatever and we we immediately all just hit it off and then i became closer and closer with him while i was living with his wife for the next two years um, and then, you know, Chad, for Chad and I, it was somewhat of a gamble because Jay was the one. He was you know, like the glue that brought you two together. Or like the yeah. Man. Like we're going to go back to like the tipping point or something. Like I'm I think Jay read that book when he was young <laughs> and he's like, you're the networker. Chad's the maverick maven, maven yeah. the maven. And I'm the salesman. And it's true because he got us to believe in ourselves. Um, and so he, Chad was like a very smart person. I knew him for a while before this idea was ever up. And he's a very, uh, conscious, thoughtful person. Like he really, he doesn't just, you know, do things like he has real theory behind everything he does with food and social media and what have you. He brings a lot to the table. Yeah. A couple of things I really want to highlight first, go check out the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. If you guys have not read that book or listen to it. It's on audio. I'll head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Get that sucker for free if you're not using audible already. But uh, in that book, he, he, he highlights uh, knowing who you are, knowing your lane and identifying other people who have lanes and then leveraging those relationships to accelerate the process of growth or to make things happen. But just the idea of knowing your lane is right. so important. Do you want to get into that? Yeah. I mean, I remember all of us before we opened wondering, how this was all going to work because it was all about just like we just need to get open called in like every possible favor we could from I come from blue collar you know from from everybody and um 
once we were open, it was kind of like, who's, who's doing what? But very naturally from what we, a, a lot of it was the question of, well, what do you like to do? It was like, what do you like to do and what are you good at? So I do do a lot of things that I don't like to do. I handle all like the accounting and the lawyers and the insurances <laughs> and all those like, you know, make sure our permits are up to date and all that that stuff Attention that nobody to likes to stuff, do. Yeah. yeah, I'm like the HR person, which is scary. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's really, I also really, I was a teacher before. I like teaching people. I like kind of being the, the mom figure here. I like, um, I like creating this kind of family atmosphere we have in our businesses. We have a lot of young people that are new to the city or, um, you know, and they're looking for a place that they belong. Everyone's just looking for belonging. Mm -hmm. And we create a place where people feel like when they come to work that they belong to this family. Like, and, and that's, that's really, I think the, the, my biggest role here Mm -hmm. would be kind of to be that, um, like a lot of mentoring and stuff for our management, our long-term employees, our new, our new employees. And, um, that like, I don't know, mother role for (laughs) lack of a better word. So when you guys, uh, started having the conversation, I think you approached that at one point, but you, maybe you, I know they were, they had had kind of established themselves, right. Uh, as restaurateurs before you came into scene, they were on the scene a little bit before you came in. Is that what I heard? Uh, Jay, yeah. Jay had opened a different place, uh, before with, with Catch's family before we, we before Harlem public opened. uh, Chad, I mean, Chad started at Burger King. He's been working in, I mean, went to college and everything for, I think videography, but, um, he's been in kitchens his whole life. So he worked with Jay at the last place. Okay. But I think Jay just saw like what great potential he nope. had. He was kind of, you know, yeah. cutting edge. So, so he's a cool one of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so was that, that uh, the, the charisma? He brings the, the charisma to the table. Is that what it is? Charismatic? Um, I wouldn't call it charisma. <laughs> uh, he'd be the one that, uh, if I was like, Oh, we should post this on social media. He'd be like, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, did the original restaurant that they were that or was it Jay was operating? Is that still around or did they close that? No, no, no. It's it's still around. It does really well. They're not part of up there anymore, but um, yeah, it does really well. So take me to the point where you, where the conversation is happening. Where you, now you're on board. He's pulling the team together. Uh, what's that look like? Paint that picture for us of you guys like saying we're all in this together. Let's do it. Um, it's stressful. Uh, it's, it's exciting, but it's, it's stressful. I was under an insane amount of stress during, um, during all of this. And, you know, the thing is, so, okay. So both my parents were really sick at the time and, um, and my, my mom had lost in 11 months. My mom lost both her sisters, both her parents and both, and she and my father were sick. So it was and then trying to do this on top of it and really wanting like my dad to see it. And, and then we had investors and they, I, they all pulled out. So anyway, my, my uncle who is a, a partner in this too, uh, he, I actually called him 
because he's an architect. Um, he's, my parents used to do hotel restoration. My uncle was part of it. It was my grandfather's company. And I didn't want to stress my parents out, but I basically brought my uncle in, and I'm like, I need you to look at... I had, like, four different spaces, and I talked about the area and, and all this stuff, and I was just like, what? Um, he's like, you, at, by the end of the day... And really, I wanted him to see the Harlem public space. And by the end of the day, he said, you know, there's only one reason I came in here, and that is to tell you to abandon this stupid fucking idea. And he's, like, telling me about the failure rates and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, listen, I already sunk my life savings, and I'm slowly maxing out my credit cards, and I signed a 20-year lease. So Too late. And he's like, well, what I'm saying is, I think this is going to work. And do you want me to be an investor? And I was like, (laughs) no, 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 no. I don't need you to be an investor. We have investors. And that's when I learned that most investors pull out. (laughs) Did he end up investing in you eventually? Yes. He ended up investing. And once he did, thank goodness, my parents, um, even though they were in kind of a precarious situation, they were like, we really want to invest. And so when I'm saying the stress of opening up, suddenly, you know, my parents don't have a lot of money. My, my father's dying, and I don't want to take money from them, but they're insisting, and they want to, like, I think a legacy type thing. Mm-hmm. My dad wants to know that he's going to be part of this and what have you. So um, it was really, really stressful. How much do you have to raise? Reflecting back, can you think of the number? All right, we'll put this. So Harlem Public, uh, we built Harlem Public in less than $300,000. Because uh, I was able to call in like every single person. That's I was pretty like, good. Yeah, That's it's really pretty good. amazing. I'm talking about liquor license and everything. Wow. Um, and then, and we also had amazing help from our landlord. We were very lucky that we didn't have one of these like blood sucking landlords from New York City. We had people that really supported us, and we still have a, a close relationship with them. But. Um, when this place was built, while we were all bartending, working the kitchen, managing, what have you, and could no longer call in every favor, I think this place costs like seven fifty to build. Okay. So <laughs> that's the difference. And then the, the third place, the same thing. It was like 700000 So what's the lesson there? I mean, the lesson is... <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the first restaurant, I mean, it's... Make it affordable, right? You don't want to like get into a situation that you, that you won't that will get away from you. Like uh, I think it, far too often people don't really take the time. I mean, you have like, you know, once you're an established restaurateur, but if this is your first thing you're going into, I didn't sit there and look at, you know, what are our projections? How many people? Like, how much business can we really do? Or really evaluate how other places? We had no other places that were similar to this in the neighborhood that we could go off of. So it was really a shot in the dark for, for a lot of things. We had no idea of how to project what our numbers would be. Uh, we were very fortunate. We were super naive. Um, and, but it, it worked out really, really well for us. So it is a lot of, it is luck, but as you can continue, if you want to continue building restaurants and you want, you, you have to mitigate risk. You have to see like where, what what is the best deal for your restaurant group at that time? Because suddenly it goes from no one believing in you and investors pulling out to everybody wanting to invest and everybody wanting you to be in their building, in their space. And it takes up a lot of time. And that's me. Like I spent a lot of time talking to different brokers and building owners 
and there we have to walk away from some some ideas that I'm really passionate about but I have to be honest I don't it could bury us <laughs> yeah how, how would it bury you I mean financially like we won an RFP so like a proposal to go into parks and be one of their but but it was it, it could have cost like once I brought in structural engineers and everything it could have cost almost two million dollars for the space to be built and then I start talking to all the other vendors or excuse me business owners that are along the Hudson in these parks and what do they truly make in six months and then I had someone offer me a half million dollars that I'm like to to go into that and I was like this is someone I care about I'm not taking their money until I really see yeah. how long it would take for me to pay them back and what it would be worth it and that's what I did I put it all together and said if we're lucky we'll make this much which means your money won't be paid back for six years. And this, you know, and it's just not, it just became not worth it. Yeah. So you said you put down, um, you, you know, your own cash, you, you, all of your savings plus credit cards. Uh, how much did you need to come up with after you had invested all of your money and your partners put in their share too? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I was working as a teacher and then like, uh, I, I didn't have like a crazy amount of savings to begin with, yeah. but I think, Basically, it was like the three of us put in a hundred thousand, and okay. then each of our investors put in a hundred thousand, and all banks said no. And all banks said, "How many banks did you go to?" Three. But I mean, you know, you got to get scrappy. I mean, you got to get creative. You got to go to people. How how was it that you got those those three investors? Because you had two, was it three? It's just my parents. Oh, just your parents and my uncle. So just family and us believing yeah. in it and believing in ourselves the power of having good people in your corner i think <laughs> i do a lot for a lot of people yeah. throughout my life um and including you know at this time like i came home to care for my grandparents for a year uh while my parents were sick and to like drive them to chemo and everything mm. so like i'm a I, they know that i'm a person that's not gonna like take money lightly that yeah. it's it's i'm gonna do everything that i can and we're all like that yeah so it's it there's no like option of it failing the power <laughs> of karma right yeah <laughs> so we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors we'll be right back to dive into how you guys did it so this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have. These websites have them, and it's because they're going to Bento Box to get the work done. And not only will Bento Box leave a lasting impression with your guests, but Bento Box websites come with hospitality-focused tools that are proven to drive revenue online. With Bento Box, you can easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events directly from your website. Bento Box puts you in control so you can focus on what matters most, your restaurant. Bring your restaurant hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. All right, we're back and let's dive into how you actually pulled it off. You, you, you raised the money. Now it's time to open. What's that process look like? Well, I mean, we were, we were like halfway through building the bar when the investors pulled out. So <laughs> 
Oh, man. <laughs> we didn't raise the money and then do it. Wait, did uh, your investors were your parents and your, and your no, family, No, no, right? the original oh, investors. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, at first I didn't think. Uh, so then we had to come back around, even though the whole time they'd been, they'd been saying, like, we'll help, we'll help. We had to come back around and be like, actually, our investments that we said we had don't exist anymore. So um, we had a lot of like. What happened that made them pull out? What was the reason for that? I just think a lot of people talk talk a big game and say that they're going to do something and then they and don't they do the it. Page, they see the invoice. How the many people invoice? say they're going to open <laughs> yeah. a bar and then they don't do it, right? you know? Like, yeah. um, and everyone wants to, like, to throw money at a bar because they don't have to work in it. Right. Um, but anyway, so we, um, I mean, how did we do this? We basically, I mean, we're just in here all day. We're listening to the shins a ton. We're listening to... to the shins? Yeah. What are the shins? The the band, the shins. Oh, gotcha. Like, gotcha. Yeah, it'd be like the shins would come on, and we had our checklist going every day. It was like checkbook, checklist manifesto. Do you know that Oh, book? that's another great oh, book. Yeah, great book. So we're like going through all of that, and I'm trying to stay as organized, and like eventually uh, we had paid too much money to our general contractor, so... Um, he was not showing up on the job. Wait, you paid him too much or he wasn't showing up? Yeah, that's how it happens <laughs> with these small jobs. So you pay them too much and then they're like, they're not chasing the money anymore. So they go to chase the next bit of money. It's like if you only owe 30000 on a job, then they're not going to come back. But if you owe 100000 then they've got like guys working every day. Now, did you try to protect yourself with any operations agreements or anything like that? Uh, you're talking about with the partners? Like, yeah, well, the, the, the actual build-out with the, the construction. like a- Yeah, we had we had construction agreements and stuff. That doesn't mean, I mean, yeah. what, are you, what are they? What am I going to do, <laughs> go to a lawyer with the money I don't I, have? I got you, I got you. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I think, uh, so that's when I really, I, at one point I had one of my best friends from high school, his father, was living I live I lived above the bar at the time his father was staying with me too his mother was staying with me I had like 10 of my best guy friends from high school in here putting together walk-ins building like lights and shelves and my cousin like like everybody like my cousin came he poured the bar he finished the floor it was like and all it didn't matter who you know it didn't matter anything with general contractor it just had to get built so the general contractor kind of like took off on you guys. Um, but so did you supplement that by having your friends and family come in to kind of like yeah. check away? Okay. Yeah. We just couldn't afford to wait anymore. No, it's I like, hear oh, you. I'll be there next week. <laughs> well, I think the other thing too is like when, when you're first getting started, it's amazing how scrappy you can get. When you only have like when you're limited by a budget, it's yeah. amazing how you can get creative and just find ways to pull it off. And I think sometimes when we get too comfortable and we have the cash, and we're used to just throwing money at things like our creativity just stops and we just, you know, but in those early days, I think if you can find a way to like capture that creativity and that scrappiness and extend it throughout your career as a restaurant tour, the things you must be able to accomplish, right? I mean, it goes both ways, right? Because you can sit there um, <clears throat> like, you know, where what are the first things that someone says to you? Oh, you own a bar, a restaurant, and, the, and it's like, aren't you worried that people are going to steal from you? The two things, aren't you worried people are going to steal from you and you must be there all the time. And neither one of those things are true for me. Have people stolen from me? Yes. We've had, we've had large sums of we One time we had police involved, large sums of money, uh, which was really scary, possibly an inside job, but I don't think so. And we've had, you know, we've had to deal with, 
staff members with drug problems. We've had to deal with um, things being stolen from guests or, you know, like stuff like that. But if you're, when it comes to your staff stealing from you or overpouring or all this stuff, it's like, I would rather spend my time and energy, one, forging a relationship with my staff so that it's part of this family atmosphere where they don't feel like they have to steal from me or they they are less likely to steal from me. Or two, it's putting in controls that aren't subjective to make sure that it's not happening. You know, it's like it's it's some of these technologies that I'm sure we'll get into eventually that you're able to track like from the POS system to the inventory, like things get very granular in this day and age. So um, <clears throat> I just think that more time, w- while it's super important to always like always getting more than one quote and always like kind of checking the, the guys that you use all the time to, you know, that's one thing. Someone can undercut you completely and be the cheapest person out there, but they're cleaning your, your tier and your Ansel system and your hood and everything like shit. And yeah. it's, it's making the whole system break down. It's going to cost you $8,000 for a new fan. So it's not about like the cheapest thing. It's, it's, it's also with all of our different vendors creating relationships. So they come to you first with the promos so that they don't feel like they can skimp on on your work, like humanizing people. So I'm taking some notes. You're, you're dropping some really great stuff that I want to dive into. But before we get too far away from something that you mentioned earlier, the checklist manifesto, the power of using a checklist, can you share any tips or tricks on how to leverage checklists and the power of checklists, things that you pull from that book? It was a while ago. <laughs> when you guys pulled up, I literally, we were going through the checklist. Um, <laughs> so the hardest thing about the checklist is enforcing the checklist. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all there. So it's really good. It's, it's making sure that the system, the staffing system, has to keep each other in checks and balances. So it's not like, oh, just here's the checklist, and if it, it gets filled out or it doesn't get filled out, right? So this is just like an opening checklist, a closing checklist, and, and it's about divvying up in between all these different people and making sure that when the manager walks in at five, the checklist gets handed to the manager. Then the manager reviews what was or was not done. And then when they open in the morning, the next day, what do they have to do? They have to email the checklist. If they don't email the checklist showing everything that was done in closing the night before and the next day, then someone has to email and be like, where's that checklist at? So your checklists have checklists, essentially. You essentially. Gotta, you got to check the they checklist have, like, with time these processes. Stamps. So what you said was, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got to enforce. We've got to find ways to enforce the checklist and make sure they're being done. That's the hard part. Making yeah. the checklist is easy. And the way that you're doing that is um, when the checklist is finished, there's a, 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 a call to action to mm-hmm. email the checklist. And then if you don't get that, e- that email, what's your cue from there? Is that when you call by, like, say – a Whatever time, by this time, if I don't get the checklist, that, that's my cue to make sure that they didn't miss anything or what goes on? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not me at this point, but it's, it's basically the next day's manager. So it always falls to whoever's managing that night. So the next day's manager is like, oh, wait, I haven't seen that checklist yet. So they hit up the day staff and they're like, hey, I'm going to need to see that checklist when I get in. It wasn't emailed in yeah. yet. Yeah. So, and, then, and it's a really good thing to put that on 
that day's manager. We have several managers because otherwise it's like, all right, somebody did something wrong. It needs to be written up. Well, the next time that that person works is when that's happening and who manages that night. So they're in charge of that rather than someone having to be the heavy all the time, things feeling subjective or, or it all falling to, you know, one person. It's like, no, like this, you did this. We're, we're acknowledging it here together and we're moving on, but it's not, yeah, I, I it's cause I used to be the enforcer all the time and it sucks. Yeah. So, uh, so <laughs> that was, that was right? my plan. <laughs> so going back to the chronological order here, we talked about raising the money and the challenges you went through with that process. Take us to the point where now you're open, you're open for business. Take us to that point. What it was like. Um, it was amazing. Uh, the first the first day it was really just my friends and family um chad's family chad's from cleveland and uh jay's family is like you know out long island but jay jay has like had the most experience jay and chad did at that time so they basically worked it and i was kind of the front of house person with and it just felt so good to finally have people in there and the place clean and what have you. And then the next day... So this was your soft opening, This right? is our soft so, opening. Although some people, some of our regulars to this day are still like, I'm like an honorary lynch. I, I sneaked in. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but anyway, so then the next day we all kind of woke up and it was Sunday and it was there was football going on. And I get a call because apparently my cell phone was our business number okay. on, on something. And they're like, are you playing the Raiders game? I'm like, who is this? <laughs> and, um, no, so I'm I, working. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm sleeping. So I called, I, I called my partners and I'm just like, you want to open today? And they're like, yeah, let's just open. So that's what we did. It was $5 cash, everything. We talked to the guys at the local deli. They supplied sandwiches cause we, Typical Con Ed didn't have gas for like four months. And um, yeah, and we just opened and it was like the whole neighborhood showed up. Well, it I think there's amazing. something something to be said about op- or trying to open under the radar, at least. So you guys didn't stay under the radar for long. But yeah. a lot of people will promote and promote and say, this is like this is the opening day. And then what happens in any in most circumstances when you're opening a restaurant, you're like four weeks behind a month behind two months behind three months behind the opening date now you have to change the opening date so when people open under the radar like that and can kind of like slowly scale into things without creating a huge like uh public uh event around it i think yeah. there's a lot of value there do you agree yeah we were we were never doing that and um we were never going to do that because i mean the thing just kept shifting and shifting and to be honest i I now at the time it meant a lot to me because my dad passed away right before we opened. Mm, I'm sorry, so, I wasn't able to see it. Yeah. So at the time, I was like, "We have to be open by this date." You know, I was the one that was like, "This has to happen," and it just we just kept missing and missing and missing. So um, looking forward, we don't do that at all anymore. Um, you know, it's very like under the radar. Yeah. It's like, Oh, maybe this year, maybe next year. I don't know. But when you open <laughs> under the radar, it, it allows you to accelerate into things. Whereas right. when you announce it, you get flat sat and like, you don't have time to work out your systems, your processes, and you don't get a lot of second chances in the restaurant industry. So if you don't right. get it right the first time and you have a lot of bad experiences the first time, you might not get those people back a second chance. Um, I would say though, what we did, what we were super conscious of and not to say that, social media wasn't big before this but um we you know we had like our signage outside and like the instagram logo and facebook logo and i think we had like 
almost 2,000 followers before we opened. So people were still getting, like, the excitement of it with us having without us having to say, like, we're opening next week. Yeah. So it was still, like, really, you know, really fun to to do that um and we'd have like giveaways because we were still working with reps and stuff so it'd be like we have govball tickets like the first three people to run to the bar right now <laughs> so what, what other things were you doing regarding your social media during the early days when you're opening to kind of hype things up uh under the radar but only with your like your your social network i mean when i look back it was just um you know, it's just we would like try test things out, food items and stuff, and we'd kind of give little previews to that. People love seeing construction mm, pictures. Yeah. Um, they love seeing like you know the new details that are going in, and just a lot of stuff to just kind of humanize us too. You know that um, we weren't just coming out of nowhere and doing this. Like you know, Chad lived around the corner, Jay lived a few blocks down, I lived above the bar at the time. Like we were, we were. Uh, you know, like a couple local people getting ready to, to open up and we were excited about it to share it. So you open in 2011 and you guys run for uh, three years until 2014 before opening your second restaurant, the Wallace, correct? Uh, how, what was the evolution of your restaurant group during those three years as you guys are, uh, you know, scaling your business, uh, digging in your roots, getting, you know, cemented in? Like, what's that look like? How did that evolution look like? Um, so we actually, so we started building Harlem public in 2010, but we actually didn't open until 2012. Okay. So, and the the point of that to clarifying that is because we opened in September, 2012. And then in January of 2013 is when we were approached by the, uh, owner of the store next next door and he's like listen i've owned this clothing store for he's a he's a lawyer in the bronx like super nice guy and he's like i've owned this clothing store now for i think it was 14 15 years and we knew he had a few more years left on his lease and we're like well maybe someday we'll take that building too and or that space too and is that the walls where we're sitting today yeah where we're sitting today so he came over and he's like listen like i see the writing on the wall like i don't want to do this anymore my sales aren't this this was really good to me this time yeah yeah he's like if i try to get if if i if i try to get out of my lease will you take the space and our originally we're like oh we'll just open it up and make it a giant harlem public but by that time we said okay first of all yes we'll definitely take the space we can go to the landlords together um, but also we're like, this neighborhood needs options. So there's some amazing, like, you know, you have the tamale ladies, you have uh, amazing Mexican spot, San Pedro Taqueria. That's still there. It's actually expanded. You have all these amazing Dominican places, but there wasn't like a bar scene where this neighborhood used to be a crazy bar scene before like drugs really hit in, in Harlem, sadly. But there was like three to four bar- bars on every block. Like longtime residents tell you about all these different bars. It's crazy. So we're like, let's Harlem public was getting a lot of food sales. Chad did an amazing job with the menu. Uh, we had to kind of bend a little bit. Our tagline, this is a bar. Here is our food seemed a little, <laughs> So we're like, let's open like a bar bar instead. So that's where at the Wallace was born. And those were really fun days because we'd have to work next door. We were all still working next door. And then we'd come over here and keep working. And um, and like next door, when we opened Harlem Public, we agonized over every little detail and oftentimes fought over 
the shade of blue on the front of the bar or something like that. And over here, it was like, all right, we split it up in like three three spaces. It's like you design the front, you design the middle, you design the back. Because at the end of the day, it's the service, the food, and the drink. The aesthetic is so secondary. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, who gives a shit? Just whatever you want to be. Chad's like, I mean, at the Wallace is a Cleveland bar. It is a Cleveland sports bar that uh, has drag shows every Friday and it's kind of a dive bar, kind of not. I mean, it's we have a uh, what is it called? Uh, not ping pong, paddleboard. No, not oh, paddle. Pinball. Pinball. We have a pinball league here. I mean, this is like the, this is like you know a bar for everybody. It really, really is. So I was going to ask like how you knew you were ready to how you sc- you scaled uh, the public house um, or sorry the Ar- the Harlem public. Uh, how you knew it was time to. Uh, go for the second restaurant, but it sounds like it was kind of just thrown on your lap and you kind of just had to make it happen because it was a great opportunity, right? Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely, uh, that's absolutely what happened. We definitely didn't feel ready for it. I was going to ask, that was my (laughs) next question. Like, were you ready? Like, what was it? Was it crazy having going from one operation to two? I mean, the good news is you're literally right next door. So you don't have to be in physically two different places. You can, is there, is it connected in the back at all? Yeah. It's so it's connected through the basement. Um, not if you ask the health department though. Yeah. And a lot of people, (laughs) I mean, I see tons of successful brands. That's one thing they, they do really well when they scale, they scale, uh, as close to home as possible. They don't go five towns over. They, they like Danny Myers talks about the, about this in his book, Say in the Table. Like one of his rules was that he had to be able to walk from each one of his restaurants in under five minutes or something like that. Yeah. And the, the the power of having of being present, right, and being mm-hmm. able to to be there. Do you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, as someone who lived up uh, up until a year ago, I moved like four blocks away. But up until a year ago, I lived above the bars. So I could literally take an elevator through the back, come through the office and pop up on either side. <laughs> um, <laughs> I walk my dog three times a day and they I could I could pop out this way or that way or whatever. So there's just constant checking in going on and uh just very helpful for all of us to really be here to protect what we built well you pulled it off you're doing something right i mean both bars are here to this day uh with an additional bar which i'm sure we'll start talking about but reflecting back at that time what did you do right and what did you what would you maybe wish you did differently in the transition to opening the second bar um i think that I think that communication between partners is extremely important. Um, and you know, honesty between partners, like it's, it was a lot of not just, just communicating like how you're feeling, what you're thinking, because it can be really a lonely business. Like you have to be, I always, I always equate this to, um, especially with me because I deal a lot more front facing, but I used to always listen to like VJs in the morning, um, like Z100 or something. And I'm like, how is Elvis Duran happy every day? Like I'm feeling (laughs) sad. It's like Tuesday. I'm on the bus going to school and I feel sad. And, um, there's just days that there's just, you just have to be on for the public, you know, which is really, which is really hard. So I think just kind of, communicating to each other that everyone feels like that, that stress. I mean, it's a stressful business. Absolutely. And, uh, and that, and then you start kind of, um, you start, you start kind of 
you can only you can always see through your own lens how much you're doing instead of realizing what the other people around you are doing. So having that open communication so that everybody is valued and everybody uh, that transparency so that you're able to say thank you. So I'm assuming open communication is one of the things you did well in the beginning. Is that one of the things? Yeah, it, but it, as we got busy, it fell apart for a while and it's come back together but that was probably the roughest part it's kind of when communication starts falling apart because everyone's so busy doing different parts of the business so some of the one of the variables that i think is important to the good communication which you highlighted just then was uh is being i think open-minded to other people's perspective and realizing that you're seeing the world through your lens and that somebody else may be seeing it through a different lens uh any other specific advice on uh, g- good communication, things that you do well to, to keep that communication flowing strong. Yeah, I think that uh, we really we really take the time to hear our staff. Uh, we have staff meetings, and it's not, I mean, yeah, we have to run through what needs to be done or what have you, but some of our best ideas have come from our staff. So being open to a point, right? <laughs> there's, still, there's still a hierarchy, but um, just... Just have, having people feel validated and heard. Knowing they have a voice. Knowing they have a voice has really been important. And we've learned a lot from that. So you said you, you kind of drifted away from good communication. You recognized it and you self-corrected. How did you, how did you self-correct? Um, I think so with my... So the, I was really just thinking about like with you know our partnership, okay, and that was really just everybody kind of doing their own thing for a while. So you all had your own lanes. Um, yeah. More work was getting put to your, onto each one of your tables, so you kind of isolated yourselves from each other with the amount of work that was coming, which made you grow apart. Right. That's that's how I see it. And honestly, it was a lot of conversate like hard conversations there were tears <laughs> there was and um, but it's real yeah it's very real you know i have i have two work husbands um i love these guys very very much um i owe them a lot so uh you know there was no like the idea of giving up but it was it was like the idea of i need to be heard i can't feel like this i can't keep like stuffing this all down like i have to we need to all sit sit in a room and talk so knowing that this <laughs> drift um happened between the partners and that you were able to bring it back together what specifically what was it that helped you identify that you had drifted and that what was what was it that brought you back to be- back together to have that communication like you used to so this is very concrete so i i joined um like the goldman sachs 10 ksb program and uh that's like a free program that you have to qualify to get into for business owners all different types of businesses and a lot of the questions that they were asking and it was kind of, it's really like helping you to work on your business because so many people are working in their businesses all the time. It's like a triage situation. So this is like, how do you take a step back and work on your business to make it the best it possibly can? And a lot of the questions and things that are being posed, I'm like, I, I'm not the only business owner. I can't control this. I, I'm excited, but I felt like a lot of this, the wind was taken out of my sails because I couldn't really get excited because we weren't all on the same page. And we, you know, we hadn't been, we'd been, and so I, I'm like, I don't even know where they want to be in five years. I don't know, like, these bigger questions that I'm asking myself, and I don't know what their answers are, because we're not connecting like we were. And at that point, I was like, we need to have, like, direct, 
honest conversations about where, where, are, going, yeah. Yeah, where are we going, where do we see ourselves. So that was really a catalyst for that all of it. That is huge. I want to put emphasis on there is recognizing that if you have partners, you all need to have the same vision, the same mission, and the same, like you're going to be pulling in the same direction because of what happens if you start getting different ideas and you have different um, opinions of what, what like the future is going to look like, you start pulling in different directions and you only get further apart, right? But if mm-hmm. everybody's on the same page with the same vision, the same mission, and everyone's pulling in the same direction, you can go so much further. So is that what you did? You just kind of had that set down, like, here's where we are. Where are we going? Let's all be on the same page. Is that what it looked like? Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, it was really, it was really therapeutic and good because this was also in the midst of the Honeywell being built. So it was kind of, we needed to get on the same page for that too. So it was just, you know, it was just a lot to, just a lot of stress going on all at once. And it was good to just finally clear the air and, and have those real life conversations. So two things that you mentioned early in today's conversation was one, uh, you talked a little bit about, uh, keeping your people from stealing from you. And then you also talked about, uh, how you're not here all the time. I want to get into those two things. Uh, how diving back into how you keep people from stealing from you and creating that culture, right? Uh, starts with the culture, get into like how you create that culture where you don't have to worry about people stealing from you all the time. Um, I want to be very clear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like, you know, I'm not, uh, an idiot. Like I know, I know what happens. Right. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of industry people here. I know how, you know, I know where I get hooked up, where I go and everything like that. But with that said, I would rather, I would rather focus on like, you know, we give them the freedom to do buybacks and to, you know, like I have a local coffee shop. I don't pay for coffee ever. That is a deal that I have with the owners there. But what happens? Instead, I take that money and I put it towards the employees. If the employees are feeling well taken care of, then they don't feel inclined to be stealing. Mm-hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, if I'm if I'm thinking about where I am going to focus my energy, it's going to be on creating a relationship with somebody and humanizing myself and like having like a real relationship versus like looking over my shoulder all the time of who's fucking me essentially. And that is, and that is the way a lot of people go through life is always looking out for how they're getting fucked next and I don't have the energy for it. You know, perception <laughs> perception is reality. And if you perceive that everyone's trying to screw you over and fuck you, then you're going to have that that over your head. You're going to have that stigma and people are going to pick up on it. And guess what? They're going to return that energy that you're sending their way and they're going to fuck you over because they don't like you because you don't like them. And, but if you have that, that mentality that you had earlier where you like, you just take that energy and you put it into building relationships and not making it about a transaction, but about a relationship, like a real human connect connection and relationship. People aren't going to steal from their friends. You know, they, they're not, they're, I mean, they, some will, let's yeah. be honest, yeah, but yeah it's still going to be a whole lot less likely. What about systems and processes or like technology? Are you leveraging any tools of that nature? Yes. Um, So let's see. What do we use? We use a lot. So there's so, this is the thing. There's so many out there right now. And I saw you had like compete on and, and you've had a few of them on, on your show already. Um, we we basically since we have the three places they're all right next to each other um we kind of pick and choose and to see if something's going to work before we adopt it for all three spaces so um 
I think I had, let's see, I had like $60,000 worth of checks stolen out of the mail. Oh we don't gosh. do checks anymore. <laughs> uh, we strictly do, if we have to, we do Chase ePay, but okay. FinTech is an amazing service. Plate IQ is an amazing service. It, it's, it saves so much time for my manager who inputs, you know, they scan everything into Plate IQ. Everything's mapped out. So there's no more. I used to manually go through and put what was the bar mix, what was the food. So now Plate IQ automatically does that. That goes from Plate IQ into QuickBooks. And then all I have to do is pay those bills unless they're being paid with FinTech. So there's probably like three bills a week I have to pay. So it's really just going on and like pulling levers to make sure, just double checking. So this is kind of like twofold because when you implement this technology to track all of your inventory um, into into implement systems, you're you're creating systems that make it more difficult to steal, but also you're automating the process and making it easier to delegate, right? And then that I think that kind of leads into the next part, which is. You you are using these systems, these technologies to also be able to get away when you need, when you want to. You're not here all the time, <clears throat> right? Uh, yeah, I used to live uh, between here and New Orleans, and while you had the businesses going on, yeah, wow. all three. So, um, you know, a lot of it is I still have constant communication with with my staff. Um, a lot of the things that I do is that I don't have to physically be there. Um, and then, you know, a lot of it, we are trying to be more data-driven. I do go through all of my uh, Toast. My, we use Toast. Toast is an amazing. Everything's in the cloud versus we used to have to, like, go into this little closet and pull reports. It was brutal. Uh, so making sure that everything exists in the cloud, my QuickBooks, like all my accounting stuff is in the cloud. Um, and then just really it's, like, con- it's constant communication with your staff. And we've had a lot of people that have been with us for three, four, five, six years at this point. And it's really instilling within them how we want our guests to be treated, how we want this place to run. So having the system, setting them up for success, but then always being available to them. Mm. How do you um, make yourself available? What, what do you do to make yourself available? I mean, we're always available through, through email, text, or call. I mean, it's, uh, and then this we're is just also- making it known that if you need us, like here we are. Oh yeah. Oh, Do you yeah. ever have people abuse that? Is there ever, it gets to the point where like you need to like create some distance because they can't do anything without your blessing. Um, there's definitely times where I've had to empower people cause they're reaching out and, and, you know, getting my blessing. And I'm like, you know, this, like yeah. you're, you're better at this yeah. than I am. <laughs> um, so yeah, more of a empowering people. Um, you know, maybe I've had to be direct in the past, but not really. It's not, it's not overly abused, but I want our staff to know that, you know, we're, we're very, we're small businesses here. We're three small businesses and they need to know that we are here for what they need. Yeah. So let's transition to the Honeywell. Uh, how did that opportunity present itself to you? So the Honeywell was, that was definitely planned. So we were just waiting for a couple like, we're like, when, we really got into the cocktail scene. We're going to Chicago a lot, New Orleans, uh, Miami, San Francisco. And we're like, we just love this cocktail scene. I love Attaboy downtown. Um, and I'll just just like a more relaxed, but where basically you always have a seat, right? It's never going to be super crowded or anything like that. So 
where Attaboy in my mind always misses the the spas. They have a line all the time, and I'm like, why aren't they just doing what using you know, Toast Tab to go up the line and put drinks in her? Oh no, no, no! Like, why don't they do what Dead Rabbit does? Why don't they have a place next door that they're like doing a catch-all for all these people? They basically it's like February. They're like, go find a bar. Your table yeah. will be ready in an hour. And I'm like, I love this place, but what? Like, we need to open a dive bar next to them. So anyway, these places were considered to be for a lot of our older people especially at night they're like it's too busy it's too loud so we knew we wanted to open up a quieter cocktail bar we knew we wanted to be seating only like like dead rabbit or or attaboy has but we knew it had to be close to here because i don't like that stuffiness of like go figure it out you know, like yeah. we don't have room for you. Go find someplace else. It's like we don't have room for you, but we'd love to have you at the Wallace or at Harlem Public. And Wait. then we're just going to shoot you a text. Yeah, and Harlem Public is below us, correct? No, oh, Har- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Honeywell's Honeywell, yes. this way next okay. door. We've got a coffee shop gotcha, in between. Gotcha, gotcha. But it's it still makes them feel like they're so welcomed and part of our facilities. They're just their seat isn't ready yet. Right. So that's what ends up. Um, so that was the first thing we're like. This space opened up. We're like, this so is it was, great. It was being built with the intention to serve as the overflow. So you're being intentional with what you're doing. You're not just reacting to opening places. Uh, right. With two restaurants underneath your belt, how did you do this differently? What lessons did you learn going to your third restaurant that you implemented? And did it have a, a positive impact? Well, we definitely had a lot more... Um, time on our hands when it came to you know we weren't working the hours at that point at harlem public so being able to more closely watch the build out was important um we really it was pretty painstaking once we decide to go with like you haven't seen it yet but once we decided to go with the retro look like it was all about the business model first and how that's going to work how many turns can we do in a night how what do we think the ticket ticket average is going to be for a cocktail bar what what is this neighborhood ready to spend up here things like that those questions had to be answered first and once we decided to dig in it was like why don't we do something more retro in feel um, and we didn't want to be like too kitschy, but it's pretty retro. <laughs> so, so what about like operations, uh, as far as how you guys, uh, staffed it in the operations and, and the, the whole process of like gearing up to be in business, any lessons in that regard? Yeah. I mean, we had a long-term employee at that point who's pretty well known in the cocktail world and in, in New York, especially Marcio. Um, and he was willing to come on board and kind of run the whole thing. Cause this is the thing, like I'm not good at making cocktails <laughs> unless it's a vodka soda. I enjoy eat, drinking them, but I am not, that is not my forte. So we knew, and that, that was a, a big thing too, because we knew that this was out of all three of our wheelhouses. Okay, we were dealing with an electric kitchen. We had no way of doing a gas kitchen. So my partner, Chad, had to figure out an electric menu that matched the the level of cocktail that we were producing. And then um, I just didn't, I just don't know really how to make cocktails. It's fascinating, but I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just needed somebody that, that really got it and it's really passionate about it and and. That is Marcio. He's you, amazing. You've got to create opportunities for your people. I mean, because these rock stars, if you don't create a lot, of, I mean, a lot of people say if you don't create the opportunity for them, they're going to go someplace else. They're going to create their own opportunities. So, I mean, 
was it a little nerve wracking, a little scary to know that this person has all the skills that that restaurant needs to make it successful? Because you just admitted that this wasn't your lane. The cocktails weren't your lane. Like this type of restaurant's not your lane to put that much, um, I guess all this riding on one individual who is an employee, not a partner. Was that a little scary? Um, yeah, it's definitely scary and that's being changed at this point. So, <laughs> uh, but what do you mean it's being changed? Like, like he's re- being brought in as oh, a partner. Awesome. Awesome. So, I love hearing stuff like that. Yeah. That's like great. We, uh, once we get done paying back the loans, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm like, you want this debt? Um, but anyway, no, it, that's going really well. It took a longer time to get its to get its legs and everything, but, um, no, absolutely. And I think that. I am somebody who very much I I have no problem telling somebody that I don't know what I'm doing or that I'm confused about something or or what have Where's you. Where's the what's the value in that in, in admitting when you don't know or you don't understand something? Why is that you so You get to about? learn. Mm-hmm. Cuz then you will know. Yeah, and sometimes people might be holding back because they don't want to offend you, but if you just admit your ignorance on something, then you can put the right person in place, right? You can you can it's that communication that we talked about earlier, being open and honest and the speed of honesty and openness is so powerful. Yeah, no, it's it's really and also Something, this is, I, I, I read a lot of Brene Brown. I don't know if you do, but um, no. something that she always, that she says, it's like a not threatening thing when it comes to like hard conversations is just um, the story I'm telling myself is. So when you're having like a, a tough conversation, it's like the story I'm telling myself is that you don't really care about this business or like something, you know, something along those lines. So it's not just accusatory. And I think that a lot of those, I think that's one of the biggest things that being a teacher before this has helped because in this industry, while it's changing, it's very often like, oh, you suck, you're out, next person. There's five other people ready to take your job. And that was never how we handled things. It was all about you know, teaching and belonging and giving people second chances. And has it burned us? Yes, absolutely. Has it served you? Has it served us? Yes. Yes. A lot. Do you think it's served you more than it's hurt you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I also think that, you know, I also think that, um, what's the question? It, like everyone's doing the best they can at it at any given time. Right. And uh, it's very, it's it's going back to how you kind of have that outlook on life and it's like if i if i go through life i'm not wasting energy being like he didn't do that he didn't do that it's like if, if i think that everyone's doing the best that they can at any given time then that kind of loosens up some of my own like stress and anxiety and it's like okay he's doing the best he can but maybe that's not good enough and that's nothing personal that's just that this isn't a good fit yeah so we got to still talk about the food hall. I got to ask about the, the okay. future. Are you excited about that? Anything that uh, excites you, makes you nervous? Yeah. I mean, we're, we are only the bar at the food hall, which is, and we're going to be the only bar at the food hall. So that's, that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, once you get a kitchen involved, it is a lot more stress. Yeah. And in New York City, it's like every other day I get a text from some business owner or manager. It's like, you know anyone for the kitchen? I'm like, no, everyone's struggling. Yeah, right. Here. We're yeah, all the same yeah. boat. Anyway, so that's really nice. And then it's gonna be uh, Lachula, which is Julian Medina and Megan Manzi. 
amazing. They there's a bun- they own a bunch of Mexican places, and then uh, Rich Kashida and his partner they own Dashi. He's also part of Gin Ramen, so that's gonna be like the Japanese element. And then uh, Bear Burger and Bear Burger is gonna expand with like some more vegan stuff. So those those three coffee shops. So food halls are opening up all over the place right now. Um, any advice? Anything that you didn't consider? Anything that you learned in this process of being a part of a food hall? Um, it's been a lot. <laughs> uh, it's been a real, we, we take control of a lot of things. We take control of everything. So it's been, it's been amazing to be with such great operators that I have a lot of respect for and kind of learning a lot and getting, we're, we're all very much on the same page, but, uh, definitely, you know, there's a lot more compromise involved and it's for the good of the food hall. One, one rock star is not going to make a food hall survive. Um, and it's kind of just letting go of control, which I have trouble with. Yeah. Like we design all our own yeah. places and we, we tend to our own timelines and what have you. And we, we're not the ones building it. So, uh, it's just, Appreciating the fact that we're not the ones building it, but it's definitely a lack of control. So this, <laughs> this is the last question before we go to the speed round. And the mission statement of this podcast is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Uh, so how have you transformed since 2010 when you, when you were committed to opening your first restaurant to who you are today with three restaurants and a, uh, the food hall on the horizon? How have you transformed? Um, I'd say I have a lot more confidence. I definitely did not have confidence going into this. How do you overcome that lack of confidence early on? So, you know, like I said before, I was a, I was a caretaker. Um, and my mantra would be at that point in time, like it's not life and death. It's not life and death. Like it's not life and death. It's a bar. Mm -hmm. Like you, you'll get out of your head a little bit. Yeah. I'm very, very bad at being in my head. So, um, (laughs) and blaming myself for everything. So, (laughs) That was that that definitely helped just kind of pushing through and, you know, it's someone has to do it. So it's got to get done. Lauren, I <laughs> love this conversation. We're going to take one more quick break and then bust out a speed round. We'll be right back. OK, so Revel Systems is a complete POS built to help grow your expanding business. I stand by Revel and I could tell you why it's so great, but I'd rather get my man Colton Schultz, who's with Grain Junction Subs in the Craft Cave, to tell you why he loves Revel. We have been working with Revel for several years, who has partnered with us to streamline our operations. We have implemented delivery management, employee management, sales reporting, kitchen display screens, and so much more. We also utilize mobile order takers and kitchen display systems that are extremely customizable. Nice. So if there's just one thing that you love the most about Revel Systems, what would it be? It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business. Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Being accommodating. Communication. (laughs) Communication. There we go. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is uh, getting stuck in my head. That's a good one. Uh, What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team and hiring? Oh, do I want to 
do I want to hang out with this person? Mm, yeah. I can I, teach them everything. <laughs> I can teach them whatever I want. Um, but no, if, if I don't feel like I want to have a conversation with somebody, then my guests aren't going to want to have a conversation. What's your biggest challenge to date? The biggest challenge to date or is... Or currently. Currently, probably... Probably just remaining open. Remaining open in New York. Remaining open in this, like in this business and not jaded at all. When you say remaining open, are you talking about open in business or open-minded? No, open-minded, like open to the, to the world, like not feeling like I have to protect something or feel like somebody wants something, you know, like I just want to stay like being open in this world has served me really, really well. And sometimes when things, you know, kind of go wrong, personal life, business life, like it's, you just start shutting down. So just staying open. How, how do you stay open? What practice do you have? Is there like a mantra you have or a saying you have or a trigger you have to keep your mind open? I mean, the same thing. This is in life and death and everyone's doing the best that they can at any given time, including me. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm the one I'm hardest on. <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act. Um, welcoming. Mm. Everyone's what, welcome. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from you. I mean, in this day, and like, like asking someone how they're doing, mm. it's just you're not there to just you know jot down an order. You're there it. to engage with guests. So. You already dropped a couple of great books on us, but what is one book that you recommend to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Uh, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. I'm pretty sure Renee Brown's on Audible. So head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Get that book for free if you're not already listening to audiobooks. Do you listen to audiobooks? Yeah. Has it changed? It's a game changer for me. Yeah. Especially in the restaurant industry. Who has the time to sit down and read? Well, I also listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast to listen to? Oh, God. I'm, I'm like really bad with crime podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I just think it's, it's not humanizing staff and, you know, like just, yeah, I think not checking in with staff and seeing, cause oftentimes, you know, bad behaviors that are exhibited are, are rooted someplace entirely different. Mm. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on operations, communications, efficiency, anything along those lines? Um, I mean, our new, the newest one I love is uh, BevSpot. BevSpot. And what is BevSpot? BevSpot is inventory, but it also ties in your sales. So uh, basically you can see variances between what's being sold and where the inventory is going. And you can see, you know, where your leaders are and, and if you can, you know, what's the most profitable and what have you. So it helps you to make tweaks. And what's the biggest impact that's had on your business? I mean, the amount of the amount of time it takes to do inventory has greatly decreased um, and and ordering especially and the fact that it's transparent so that everything's within the app. There's no more like, oh, I texted one rep and I emailed the other and, yeah. you know, it's all right there to I look think up. A lot of people, when there is resistance to technology, it's because they look at the, the, the bottom line cost of implementing the technology. But how much time have you saved where you would be paying somebody to be sitting there doing inventory, right? Would you say you've made up? Are you saving more money? because of using this tool than you would have if you hadn't invested in it? 
Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to, like, they design PARs. They show you, like, this is how much you go through weekly. So you're not over-ordering. You're able to reduce the amount of inventory that you have. I think our inventory's gone down by, like, $15,000. Wow. Um, and it's just being able to be like, all right, this thing's been sitting there for, like, two years. Like, time to get creative yeah. and get rid of it, there you, you go. know? Yeah. All right, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yeah. I think so. I think so. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind. Things you know to be true about your success and your restaurant success, uh, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? The three, the three things you know to be true. Oh, <laughs> can, you want to like, call a friend? I mean, the three things I know is that other people are going to come in and and do something really exciting and better, and that's okay. That's one. Um, two is that, um, like, you know, I listen to longtime residents talk about old bars they used to go to, and, like, I want to be like that. I know we'll be viewed as, like, that Cheers bar that mm. welcomed everybody. That's two. And three is... Um, Oh God, I don't know. My, my, Go with your gut. My parting wisdom. Um, I, there, there, another thing. There's many ways to skin a cat. If you want to get into this game, you can, and it's not like the end all. Like you can get out too. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's uh, it's not it's not a forever a forever thing if you don't want it to be. So. Um, Lauren, I love this conversation. You've been great. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one person you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Uh, One of my my favorite people who's another uh, New York restaurateur is John Stage. He is humble, funny as hell, and you would want to hang out with him. <laughs> John, John Stage. And he owns Dinosaur Barbecue. Look out, I'm coming after you, John. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, uh, how can we connect with you? If we want to follow your restaurants, if we want to maybe come and join your team, what's the best way to connect? Uh, so basically through social media. media. So Harlem, like Harlem Public, at the Wallace, or the Honeywell NYC. And these are three blocks in West Harlem in between 148th and 149th, and it's a fun, fun bar crawl. I believe this is episode... <laughs> 622 so head over to wow. restaurant unstoppable Congrats. thank That's you amazing thank you head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 622 we'll have a summary of today's discussion along uh, uh, as well as a link to every tool service and book recommended on the show and again lauren brie lynch thank you so much for taking the time to share your story your knowledge there is no questioning you are unstoppable <laughs> <laughs> cheers cheers <laughs> All right, there we go. Another episode in the archive here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, please sign up for the Restaurant Unstoppable email list. That is where you will never miss an episode and you get the behind the scenes of what's going on here, where I'm at, what's on my mind, and what the future of Restaurant Unstoppable looks like, and you can have an influence on that. Don't forget to connect on social media. That's slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook and at Eric Cacciatore, E-R-I-C. 
B-C-A-C-C-I-A-T-O-R-E on Instagram. But the most important thing you can do to support this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this sucker with anybody and everybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. All right. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.